Hello and welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. Hopefully you and yours are doing so well and I am really appreciative of you taking some time out of your busy day to join us here on Bridging the Gap. I'm really excited about this episode. We've got an amazing guest, someone that's outside the box a little bit, but I think we can all within this industry learn a little bit more about selling from our guests. But first, just a background on Bridging the Gap. Bridging the Gap is a podcast that is meant to bridge the gap between where we are today in the industry and where we are going with a focus on thinking outside the box. How can we create actionable ideas and concepts to help us better progress this industry to better serve more clients? That's what it's all about, the end client. How can we build greater, deeper, and better relationships with our clients. And Bridging the Gap really came from the idea that I've sat in the seat of being an advisor. I've helped to build a technology company, helped to build multiple RIAs, and I wanted to take some of the lessons and bring them out to the community to help us all make a positive change on the industry so that we can better serve more people. And the way that I believe that we could do that is by bringing in guests of all different industries, both within our industry and outside of our industry, to help us learn what is going on in the world of the trends of technology, process improvement, client experience, and how can we better utilize that to push our business forward to better serve our clients as well. And the best way of building a community is having more people part of it. And I wanna have as many people as possible part of this community because it will create conversation. And sometimes you will agree with my views. Sometimes you won't, and that's okay. I just wanna have conversation because let's all listen. Let's all learn. And whether you agree or not, we're gonna become better together. So be sure to like this podcast, subscribe to it so you're made aware when any new one comes out. And if you like the podcast, share it with others, other professionals in the industry, other advisors, other people within your firm so that we can grow together. So let's get on to the real stuff. Tim Kintz is my guest this week on Bridging the Gap. And Tim is an outside-the-box guest for us here on Bridging the Gap because his background is in the automotive sales business. And now when I think about automotive sales and I talk about it with Tim, You think about a car salesman and you're always like, I don't want to be the typical car salesman. It's got this bad stigma. But what Tim has been able to do is transition that stigma for the auto dealerships that he works with from being a transactional relationship, how we all view it on the outside, to being more of a relationship, a relational transaction and a relational sale. And that's what I found really interesting with my conversation with Tim is how did he go about that in an industry where it's all about just sales, but how did he help these these sales leaders grow and better manage their teams and better build relationships? And what I found outside of this conversation that I thought was really interesting is that there's so many similarities between what he is doing and helping with and the challenges the automotive sales industry is having and some of the things that we need to focus on within the wealth management business. So it's a great thing to find and uncover that I didn't know heading into it, but I found it really invigorating. You're going to learn some ideas on how to be a better sales uh, person, how to be a better sales leader, and how to create deeper, more meaningful relationships with your clients. You'll learn all that here. And Tim says the one reason that any company is forced to change is pain. We've all gone through pain. So maybe it's now time for us to change. Amazing conversation with Tim Kintz. I was so appreciative of him coming on our podcast. Take a listen, enjoy, and hopefully we can all take one thing away from it today. This is Bridging the Gap. 
with your host, Matt Reiner. Tim, great to have you on Bridging the Gap. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time. How is everything going over there in Texas for you? You guys all doing okay and staying out of trouble? Doing great, rocking. Business is rolling. Masters are off if you want them. And we're having some fun trying to make some money and get momentum going again. I love to hear it. I love to hear it. I think that Texas and, and Georgia are, are pretty similar in the sense of opening up. So it, I'm starting to feel a sense of sem- semblance of what normalcy was. And it's, it's, it's invigorating. I think it's, it's exciting. I think it's going to make us appreciate what we had and what we're going to have even more and uh, strive to do a better job with every moment we get because we don't get mulligans in life. I agree. I think that if there's any, if there, you know, if there is any mulligan, I think that the, you know, for those that were fortunate, a lot of people kind of went through some struggles, but it gave us that opportunity to really simplify our life and understand what is really important. And hopefully we don't forget about that when we get back into the the rat race that we call life here. So we'll, we'll see how we can all expand. Well, I'm really excited about having you on the podcast today. I think that, you know, your background and your, your leadership and also your your understanding of selling is going to be really valuable. I think one of the biggest challenges in our industry uh, when I talk to other advisors is all about how to grow and thinking about growth. And the thing is, is that we have a lot of growth opportunities within our own book of business right now. And I think that you're going to be able to provide a lot of advice. So I'm really excited for our listeners to hear that uh, from you. And I, I want to start out by, you know, two of my basic questions that I go with, with all new guests. First is let the, let's let the listener base know who you are, where you come from, what your background is, and some of your experiences so that we can kind of level set and have everybody on the same playing field. You know, I guess at heart, I'm just a car guy. I kind of ended up in it by accident. Grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, St. Charles, Missouri, Weldon Springs, really, and was lucky enough I could throw a baseball pretty good. So Went out to Arizona, played college baseball out there for three years, had a fun, learned a ton of lessons. I actually talk a lot about them in my new book, Fearless. And then I transferred to Cal Baptist University in Riverside, California, played there a year, went to Alaska to play summer league baseball. And, you know, it's, it's college baseball where they get you a host family, get you a job, you play baseball at night, they can't pay you. And that was a lot of fun, got hurt again, decided car business wasn't for me. Uh, I mean, uh, baseball wasn't for me anymore. That part of my life, that dream of me being a big league baseball player was over. I had to figure out what was next. And my job happened to be washing cars at the Honda Acura dealership during the day. So I had a guy there kind of tricked me into selling cars. We kind of got along real good. He was a baseball fan. And really, I started out washing cars, then selling cars, Worked my way into management, did finance and sales management, general sales manager. And I was lucky enough at the time, uh, my dealer sent me to a school. It's called uh, NADA Dealer Academy. It's a uh, 48-week-long school you go back to every other month with the National Auto Dealer Association, basically to learn how to run a dealership from top to bottom, every aspect of it. And then I got to a point where I was done with Alaska. My sentence was up. (laughs) It was... We had 30 below for two weeks and I knew I was done with Alaska. So went to work for a training company that was the biggest at the time uh, in the automotive industry. And I think that was probably the best thing I ever did because it really got me out of my comfort zone. You know, I hated public speaking. I I didn't like it at all. I could speak to my 40 salespeople. That was no big deal because I could fire them at any time. (laughs) But people that were paying to come watch me or just wanted to hear what I had to say. Yeah, not so comfortable. 
And I learned a long time ago, you want to get good, get out of your comfort zone. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's when you're going to grow. Did that for 13 years and left, went and ran a dealership for a buddy of mine. Did that for a year and realized the evolution of sales, the evolution, especially the car business with technology and, and customer expectations and I mean, just all the information available to you, me, everybody that wasn't there. And the sale process that I trained on and was trained on, it was obsolete. And I realized the need for relevant training that could tie technology into it, but also kept the people skill part because technology doesn't sell for you. Technology helps you be more efficient in your sales, but it's still the people person. And that's been my vision and my goal with the Kinch Group is how can we keep evolving the process? And the pandemic, man, that punched us right in the face and said, digital retailing is real. Learn to do it or you become extinct. And, you know, instead of turtling like a lot of people did during the pandemic, I wrote a book, Fearless, created uh, Lead Converter Now, which is an internet retailing platform, and Pro Video Now, which is a video platform for salespeople to help these guys get better. And that kind of brings us up to where we're at right now. I love that. I think that that you know a lot resonates with me in in the similarities between you know what you're doing and how you view the industry that you're so focused on with the automotive industry. And some people will be like, well, why do you have Tim on who's in the automotive industry? And when we're talking to wealth managers, and I think that they're your final kind of points there are the exact reason because there's a ton of similarities between what's going on in y'all's industry and what's going on in our industry. Technology doesn't replace the the human. Technology makes the human better, and you've got to figure out how to be bionic as opposed to you know, one or the other. It's not one or the other, it's both. And I think that that idea and also to be able to change, what also in, in, inspired me to, to to have you come on here is that if you're able to change the car dealership sales experience, there's something going on that you've got something figured out because that is the biggest experience where everybody says, you know, it's a, it's a bad sales experience at times. And if you've made it, which you have in, in your book that you talk about and all of the experiences that you have, you've made it relationship-based. And there's something there that we can all learn from that. And I think that that's the biggest thing. I, 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 I want to ask you before I get into kind of your why, you know, let's just talk about that for a second. How did you make the car behind sale more relationship-based, right? Because there is that stigma out there. And we have this stigma in our industry and in the wealth management industry sometimes of that, you know, you're the stock guy or whatever, maybe. But, you know, everybody says going to, you know, a car salesman sometimes is is a is a you know a butt of a joke. How how do you how do you change that in that space? Oh, it's a challenge. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. What other industry do you go do you go out to buy something and before you even talk to anybody, you don't like the person, you don't trust them, you think they're going to rip you off, you're going to get a bad deal, and you'll lie to them to try to get your advantage no matter what. I mean, what other industry do we actually do that in and justify that it's okay? And don't get me wrong. It's an it's a reputation that was well-earned, all right? Car salesmen, look, it's, it's well-earned. But, I mean, part of it comes down to earning that respect, earning that relationship, and not treating it as a transaction, but treating it as a relation. It, the, the best dealerships I work with, they're not really interested in just selling you that one car. It's about every car I'm going to sell you. It's about how are we going to help you 
keep your car reliable? How are we going to keep it on the road? It's it's setting up concierge service so we can come pick your car up and 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 deliver it back to you and have the service done because time's our most important commodity in today's world, right? How do you implement all those in a industry that is so traditional, that is so locked into the way some old dead guy created it 60 or 70 years ago that is still followed in many, many different places. And that's, look, it's hard, but it it's, it's one person at a time. Like I tell all the managers in the dealerships, stop managing your dealership and stop managing your department. Start managing the individuals within your department. But when, when your people get good mm-hmm. and they can take care of customers, that's when everybody's job gets easy. That's when the customer, that's when we're delivering exceptional experience that customers don't only expect in today's world, but they deserve. And it's the old, you know, mindset though of hiring masses, train them in classes and fire their asses. Let's just flood the floor with a bunch of people and see if any of them stick. Those days are over, man. It's I want to make sure we're delivering exceptional experience every time. Do we do it always? No. But we have an uphill battle in the far side. But it's any industry, man. It's managing your people. I don't care if you're coaching a team of, of football players or a sales team. It's how do you get the most out of each person? And it's all about the experience, right? I mean, our clients, no matter what industry you're in, and I talk about this within wealth management a lot, your clients are expecting not only a more digital experience, but a more personalized and engaging experience. And if you're not investing in that, then they're going to go find someone else because there's someone else out there that's doing it. And so it's all about the experience that you're delivering. And and the best way to deliver experience when it's, there is a relationship is the human. Be more human and personalized with them and think about it as, as that type of relationship. And I think that that's really great. And, and you talked about your journey with baseball and then getting into your journey with the in the automotive industry. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek, who talks about well, start with your why, and, and he talks about you know what is the why of a company, and, and you know some companies are all about making revenue, but that's not really the deep why. Like, what are they doing? What gets their people to come into work every day? I'm always interested to know when when people come on this podcast what their why is, right? You know, mine personally is to create a a legacy beyond myself, right, and and, a, and an impact beyond my own my own self. But what is your you know, why of what you do every day of training these managers and, and expanding your business lines? What's your deep down why? You know, that's a big question. It's a lot of layers, big onion, right? Start peeling it back. I think my simplest answer is when I walk in a room of people that are in the car business, everybody knows who I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It's not an ego thing. It's not that it's because I feel cool about it. No, it means I obviously made an impact in the industry. They wouldn't know who I am if I wasn't helping people get better, if I wasn't growing the industry and making a positive difference. And if I walk in and there's 500 people there, I want 500 people to know who I am and that I'm there to help them get better, whatever that means. Because if you get too focused on one specific thing that you're great at, well, Every industry, every business has different challenges. And are you good enough to help them in every single area, whether it's a parts department, a service department, or a sales department, or accounting? It doesn't matter what it is. It's are you making a difference in their life, right? When, how do I know I do a good job? When I walk out after one day or one hour, they're better than when I walked in. 
And that's kind of, mm-hmm. when you talk about a why, my ultimate purpose is when I walk in that deal, when I walk in any room, they know who I am if it has to do with the car business. Now, then we can start really narrowing it down to granular more to each person, each salesperson. How can I make sure that each manager is more successful and define success, right? I can't define your purpose and what success is. You have to define it, but it's it's how do I help them define their purpose, right? Rick Warren wrote Purpose Driven Life. It's purpose-driven life and purpose-driven career. When I'm there, what is their purpose? What is their vision? In a perfect world, five years from now, where do they want to be? What do they want to achieve? And I think that's that's so missing in today's world. You know, everything is microwave, right? It's it's we live hour to hour, minute to minute, maybe day to day, week to week. But ask ask your employees, what does your perfect world look like five years from now? Doesn't have to be real, but what is that perfect world? Because if you don't, if you don't have that, if you shoot at nothing, you'll hit nothing every time with amazing accuracy. And I think so often that's what's happening with, with, with a lot of us. The culture of complacency. You see it. You see it in your industry. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know, guys get good, but that keeps them from yeah, ever becoming I mean, great. It's the culture of complacency, well, I, especially I that management I, leadership. We got to battle. That's the that's the biggest thing I talk about a lot in this industry is that we are a don't don't rock the boat industry, right? If it's good, like why do you want to make a change? Why do you want to try? You may, you know, you know, upset everything that's going on, and everything's been great, and so I'm good. You know, I'm managing 125 clients. I don't need to manage anymore. I'm I'm living a great life. But what happens if you could impact 25 more families the same way you've impacted 125 families? The impact is greater than just you that you could have on the betterment of everybody. And I think that we all get complacent. And, and, and that's why I think that, you know, we were talking about it earlier, right? That's why if there's a silver lining to the to the past year of the pandemic is that hopefully people saw that, you know, there's bigger things out there, right? And that you can do and have bigger impact. And hopefully they come back to getting away from that complacency because too often the complacency is what causes them just to stay in and make it this rat race of just doing. And I, I see it all the time. I love that why. And I think that so many people, no matter the industry you're in, can take from that. Um, well, if you want to be great, if you want to dominate, there's never, in, in my my years in business, there's never been a better opportunity than now. Because there is so many people that are complacent. There is so many people that that don't have drive. And if you want to be great, your competition's lower than it's ever been. Now, your drive has to be higher than it's ever been because what you have to do to become great it's not easy. You know, everybody, they look at successful people and they want to do what they want to do what they do. They just don't want to do what they did. And, you know, you got to be willing to pay the price. But if you're willing to pay the price and you have the discipline, I don't care what it is. Sales, management, leadership, start your own business. Doesn't matter. The opportunity is there. You just can't let fear hold you back of, 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 of going for it, whatever it is. And you and and you make that point about everybody looks at these successful people and successful businesses like oh that's easy you know look at where they are they just got there right there they don't realize what they went through to get there and I always realize I always uh liken it back to you know when you grow up you your house you know you have you know, maybe certain things and then when you go buy your first house you think that your your first house should have everything that your house that you grew up in has but you don't understand what your parents went through to get everything in there and how long it took and so you feel that you are less. But in reality, that's just the process. You just have to go through it and then you build up and then you ultimately have it. But everybody wants you know immediate satisfaction. I think that that's also the other thing about it. 
And, and when it comes to selling, right? Let, you know, talking about selling in general and, and the relationship sale, right? I, I think that if there's a, if I were to speak for the listeners out there, when they think of a car sale, they think of it somewhat as transactional, mm-hmm. which you're trying to change. They see it as I go in, I buy something, I get this car, I leave, I don't talk to them again. And then the wealth management people that are listening, they're like, well, my sale is not a, a, a transaction because I'm building a relationship with them. I need to keep them happy over time. So what is the foundational elements that you see? Because I know you're trying to change it, but what are actually those foundational elements that you see that others don't in just selling in general, where there are tons of similarities between the two? I think number one, all great salespeople I'm around, it doesn't matter what industry it is, they they actually like people. I mean, they, they have that mindset that Zig Ziglar always says that you can get everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want out of life. I think that's that's where it starts. They don't rarely do they chase the money. They're not they're not money driven because they know the money's gonna take care of it the of itself if they do all the right things. They're very focused on what they want. They are productive and affect like we come in during the day. These guys, I was just at a dealership. They got guys selling 50 cars a month, which is unheard of. Well, these guys, when they come in, they get more out of the first four hours of the day than most guys get out of a week of, because it's all about prospecting. It's all about making sure they're taking care of the customers, whatever taking care of the customer means. It's not a cookie cutter thing. If you're, if you're taking care of me on wealth management side, how you take care of me is different than how you're going to take care of my mom as far as the relationship goes. Right. And do you know that person? Is it relational on your side or are you just looking at what the dollar value of that customer is? Right. How much did I make on that car? Well, then I'll follow up because I made a bunch of money. Well, no, it's you don't follow up. You follow through with customers. And I think that's what you see the best of the best. They actually care about them. They build that relationship. They care about their customers, but they also follow through on everything they promise. And we're really good in the car business at over promising and under delivering. I think, man, in today's world, it's dead. It's you know, social media will kill you if you don't take care of customers. Ratings will kill you if you don't take care of customers. And, you know, it's not like throwing ads in the newspaper and getting getting 100 people at the lot on a Saturday and blowing through 80 to try to get 20 car deals out of it. It's, it's not that easy anymore. It has mm-hmm. to be long-term. How do I help that customer out? What's important for them? I, you know, I tell dealerships all the time, your process has to work from the customer out instead of from us out. So often in the car business, it's, well, that's just not how we do it. Well, yeah, but that's a lot more work for me. Well, we, I, I don't care if it's more work for you. That's what the customer wants. Then we work out. And it, it's, it's learning to not be selfish. I think that's really, when you start thinking about it, how can we not be selfish? How can we make it about, if I was the customer, how would this how would this work where I felt like I had an exceptional experience? And I think that's, it's hard to do. It's so hard. And I think that a few things come out of that and a question comes out of that. But, uh, but first a thought is it, it, the selfish salespeople are good for a period of time, but to be sustainably good, you have to be selfless from that standpoint, yes. because selfish people can go and get some sales and do really quickly and look really good, but then it's just ultimately going to die down. And the other aspect that I get out of it is that it's all about personalization. And this is something that I talk about within wealth management all the time. We have more data on our clients than anybody else, even Facebook and Netflix and all of them. 
yet they have a more personalized experience on Facebook and Netflix than they do within their own wealth management firm. And so it's a matter of investing and figuring out how to be more personalized. And the question that comes out of it, and everybody's like, I get it. I think I'm personalized with all my clients. But in reality, we probably aren't as personalized as we should be because we view it in our in our own light, but we're not putting ourselves in the client's shoe. The challenge with that is to your point that you said, that takes a lot of time, right? How am I supposed to grow and invest this time to create this personal relationship? And I just need to continue to grow, right? So how, how do you, what, what is that answer? Right. And you talked about it a little bit earlier is with technology, but what is the answer that you give, you know, your leaders that you, you, you met, you train? Well, I think technology has helped us be, be able to engage with customers a lot more in, than we did in the past. And, and part of it is not necessarily not having a long conversation with everybody every single day or every single month necessarily, but am I keeping my name? Am I keeping my face in front of them? Am I getting that customer Am I giving them positive things, positive feedback, giving them tips on a regular basis, whether it's through social media, whether it's through texting, whether it's through emailing? How am I keeping those lines of communication open and giving that customer something valuable on a regular basis and not just giving them something? I I think we have a problem with this with our CRMs. There's a lot of template crap that goes out that is – there, there is no nothing personalized to it. It's paragraphs that people don't read when they get it on email because everything is all mobile. You know, are we leveraging mobile to be able to communicate with our customers? I'm a huge believer in video. I think sending out videos is king. And it takes, you send out a 30 or 40 second video that's personalized to that customer. You can knock out those. And the stores we have that actually do the videos talking with a customer, not at them. They keep those relationships going. It's how am I keeping my name and face in front of you on a regular basis and letting you know I'm here. I'm available. If you need me, I'm here. And don't forget who I am. Yeah. Talking with your customer as opposed to talking to and then delivering value that's valuable to them, not just delivering them something, right? So many of us are just like, let's just deliver them this newsletter. And you're like, well, do they even find that newsletter like worth a, you know, worth anything? Yeah. Like, is there any value in there? It's not. They don't care. But Believe. if you know that they like baseball, right, or they like golf, or whatever it is, and it's Masters Week, and you can send them some stuff on Masters, or it's baseball season, you can send them, you know, the schedule of their favorite team. That's something that they value that they're going to remember you on. And it's right. just a matter of how do you, can you do that at scale? And if you can better leverage your technology, you can, you can do that at scale. So, and um, how do you stand out? How are you unique? Right. I think. I think there's so many in all industries that it's it's copycat. Everybody is the same person. And how are you creating distinction? How are you creating separation in a noisy world? Because it's noisy. I don't care what industry, if you're in sales or anything that has to do with customer retention, what are you doing to create that separation? Because well, in our business, it's just copycat. If, if this guy discounts his car is ten grand, we're going to discount ours eleven thousand, and it's just a race to the bottom. But that's that's not a that's not a recipe for continued success, sustainable success. But how are you creating that separation, distinction? And I think you know when you start asking questions about that, it really starts opening eyes. What makes you different than every other place? That's so. I mean the the race to the bottom, right? You should be able to stick your ground on your cost if you can deliver the value. And if you are able to create a name for delivering unique 
personalized value, then people are willing to pay for that. And I say that with financial advisors too, because it's a race to the bottom for a lot of advisors because they're trying to compete with robo advisors that are basically charging nothing. And I say, you're different. You can help with the psychology aspect that you can create a relationship. You can do all this. And everybody's like, well, like all this, but if you can show that and prove it and let your clients see that they're going to be willing to pay for that. And I think the same things in the car deal. If, if I knew from a friend that tells me about car dealership X, Y, or Z down the street, that they do all this amazing stuff. They pick up your car, they wash your car. I don't know, whatever it is. And they deliver you all this value. I don't, I'm not looking for them to get me the, you know, the, the sticker price, you know, even down 30%. Even if I go over to this other dealership, yeah, I might save $2,000, but what is all this value that I can get? If they can turn that transaction into a relationship, there's a huge value to that and you can stick to your price. So invest in delivering value as opposed to just doing the race to the bottom and, and squeezing your margins. You know, I always tell salespeople that, you know, do you have any value in yourself? Do you think you're worth, I mean, these guys will sell a car and they'll, they'll make a hundred dollars on it. You're going to spend four hours, five, six hours with these customers. You're going to make a hundred bucks. You're going to sell 10 or 12 cars a month. Is that all you're worth? Go flip burgers, man. If that's all your self-worth is, you you give up $500 in, in discount because you don't think that you're worth it or the car's worth it. You just gave them a, your, you gave them your ATM card and PIN number and said, here, go take $125 out of my bank account. And then they're going to bitch that they're not making enough money. We'll, we'll have more value. Spend yeah. more time building value in your product, in your services, and then you can justify it. You know, I wrote the book Frictionless. It's all about closing and negotiating. Well, if you don't believe in your product and yourself, then the customer sure to hell isn't going to believe in you. And that's really where it starts. Yeah. You have to believe you're worth all the money. And if you don't think you're worth all the money, and if you don't think your product's worth all the money, get the hell out. Go do something else where you where you believe in your product. But it's 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 here is where your value starts. And and it, and it's that is so true of you know even financial advisors they're starting to question their value. So invest in figuring out how you can be more valuable as opposed to just lowering your fee. Lowering your fee is easy. That's the easy route. But there's been study after study that I've seen that advise that actually clients will stay with or, or advisors that increase or keep their fee will actually grow their business better and faster than those that lower their fee. And the reason is, is the moment you lower the fee and the moment that you give in right away on like a discounted price, people see right through that. And if they see they see that you're not you don't believe in yourself or they see that you're not valuing what your services are and they're just going to attack, attack, attack and attack as opposed to those that say, this is why I'm valuable. This is what you're going to get. This is what you're not going to get, and I'm going to be able to prove it to you. Those are the people that are able to stick to their their fees and and do it that way. And I think that that's a big part of selling, right? And 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 also just growing your business, whether it's in cars or in wealth management. There's so many similarities there. Even if you're selling houses, right? The house is all about yeah. relationships. You're not going to sell them. You're going to sell them a house every five to ten years. But realtors are more are more marketers, networkers, and relationship builders than they are salespeople. It's we're pretty much just making an offer and seeing who's going to pay the most for the house is what it comes down to. But it's, it, it really is. Do you believe you're worth it? But I, I think, I think part of it goes to, I always tell salespeople, there's two parts of selling. You got to feed the beast. I mean, you got to pay the bills. Now you got to make money. You need to put money in your bank account. Otherwise you're going to starve, but you also got to fuel the future. And those two have to happen at the same time. And, and, Technology can help you fuel the future, but if you don't take care of the customer, feed the beast, and do it the right way up front, you're not going to fuel the future. You won't get reoccurring revenue from that customer down the road because you didn't 
You didn't take care of them right the first time. But you have to believe in yourself first. The six inches between our ears, that's what really makes the difference. Yep, yep. I heard that a lot when I was playing on the baseball field and now when I'm on the golf course. Six inches between your ears. That's what keeps me right. good or not. It, it, like it, one it stroke sales one, too. one and a half strokes separates number one from number 150 on the PGA yep. Tour. Okay, that I mean, yep. that's what's the difference? It's usually on the green. And that's just and too many people that would have been great, would have been great golfers if they just had it between the ears. They had the game. They just didn't have right. it between the ears. And that's the biggest oh, yeah. thing. So two, two things to wrap up. I want tell us a little bit about your new book, Fearless. I want to know what, what motivated you to write it, what you're trying to get across in it. And then I have my, my final question. I ask every podcast guest. Yours is going to be slightly different given it's a, you're in a, a different industry, but it's still relevant. So tell us about Fearless in, in the book and what inspired you and what you're, what, what the book, what you're trying to accomplish with it. So fearless was was really I, I mean I literally wrote it during the pandemic because it's, it was about leadership, leading and managing unbreakable teams. And my first book that I did was frictionless. It was about closing and negotiating with purpose. I wanted to do fearless first, but frictionless closing, negotiating, hell, everybody wants to do that. But fearless for me was was that book that I think is missing in so many industries. There's, you know, we talked about it. There's a lot of books out there that are, they're great leadership books, but a lot of it's theory. It's, I always say leadership is overrated. And I don't really mean it's overrated, but I sure mean the word leadership is overused. Leadership, this leadership, 21 characteristics of a leader, 12, 12 characteristics of a leader, all these books out there, and they're all theory. And they're great. And it's good stuff, but how do I apply that every single day? When I come in in the morning and I got somebody called in sick, got another guy that's going to be late because his daughter's sick, got a guy that's hungover, I got three customers that are pissed off yelling at me, my dealers want to know why we didn't sell enough cars yesterday, and we're working two car deals right now. How do I apply those 21 characteristics? You don't. And how can you get a hold of your day instead of letting your day get a hold of you, right? You either you either own the day or the day owns you. And it's it's more of a tactical, real-world guide on four key areas, how to lead, manage, train, and coach, right? You lead people, you manage things, you train for knowledge, and, and you coach for skills. Those four things is what makes up leadership in my mind. Because if you can't lead people, then you're not, then you have a title. Okay, leadership is earned, not given. Managing, if you can't manage your day, your activities, if you're if you're retail and not detail, if you're disorganized, your team's gonna is, is gonna mirror that. If you're not using the statistics, tendencies, and probabilities to see how you're doing, what's good and what's not, you're never gonna be able to effectively train because you won't know what to train on. And training is a transferal of knowledge, but coaching, the skill part, that's rolling your sleeves up and saying the words and practicing it. You know, Marvin Harrison, receiver for the Colts, said that that they pay us for practice and the games are for fun. And I think that is missing so often. And what I tried to do with the book is really break down in real world how you can how you can make your people the most important part of your day. I think, you know, John Maxwell says how do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. How do your people know you care about them? T-I-M-E. What do we not do enough of? Spend time with our people because we have all these 
urgent, important and urgent, non-important things that steal our day and our people are not urgent, but they're very important. But the building's not going to burn down if we don't spend time with them. But our turnover is going to be there and the cost of turnover is insane. And then our customers experience suffers. So I wanted to make sure it was in a simple format on real world experiences to make you better, a better leader. Because when your people get good, your job becomes easy. And that's kind of where I came from on it. I want that book tattered up. I want it dog-eared. I want it highlighted, underlined, because it's not designed to be something that you just put on a shelf once you read it and say, that was nice. So for all the listeners out there, can you give us a free sneak peek of the one action item from the book that the listener could do today to be a better leader with their team? What's the one thing they can implement starting right after this podcast? Start making, if you're a leader, a manager, start making emotional deposits into your people's bank accounts. We need to make positive deposits in there. We need to learn to catch them doing things good. We need to pat them on the back when when in front of everybody to give them public recognition when they're good. We're really good at catching them doing bad things. But if we don't do a good job of making deposits into their emotional bank account, when we need to get tough or have straight talk, then we're going to be overdrawn. And when we're overdrawn, that's when our people will push back, shut down, and then we don't get any good results out of them. It's understand how can you fill up your people's emotional bank account so so they'll be willing to run through the brick wall for you instead of you being the brick wall. So go tell them something good that they did. Go give them a pat on the back. Go walk around the office if you're in there and say, say great job, job well done on something that they just did. I love that. I think that that's the best way of doing it. I'm a huge fan of that. And I believe, I'm a believer of that. I've seen it work in, in all of our businesses as well. So to, so to wrap it up, because I, I really appreciate your time and I know you've got businesses to run. I, I tend to ask people at the end of every podcast a question around why they think the financial advice space is going to be forced to change, right? And the, the background of this question really goes to, you know, the need to change has occurred nearly two decades. Everybody's been talking about you need to change, the generational shift of wealth, you need to evolve, you need to adopt technology, et cetera, et cetera. Yet advisors' businesses haven't really done that and they continue to grow. So they continue to grow, they continue to have success, they continue to impact, they continue to make money. And so, you know, even after this pandemic, the question really stems from the idea of why will they ever need to change? So I know that you don't know the wealth manager space as deeply as, as you know, someone that's in it, but I, I want to add, but you know business. And so I want to position this one slightly different for you. From your experiences with clients or within en- entire industries, you know, what has been a common driver or initiator of change for a company or an industry that was avoiding the change for a long period of time in your space? Digital retailing was the biggest thing that that we resisted. We didn't like it. Any of you guys that went online trying to buy cars and start start conversations with dealerships through digital communication, you know it was a pain in the ass. And all of a sudden, we couldn't go into the dealerships. People were sending in inquiries, and we had to learn digital communication. But the only reason we pivoted, because of pain. We either, we either evolved or we were extinct. And unfortunately, you really make it out of, you make, we make any decisions out of inspiration or desperation. 
Inspiration is doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Not because you want to do any of it. It's you, because you know it's the right thing to do. And I always tell guys, don't wait till you're motivated to do it. If you know change needs to happen, don't wait till you're motivated. You'll never be motivated. Action breeds motivation. Problem is, is it's, it's that desperation that, that creates the pain of regret. Man, I wish we had done this sooner. Man, if we would have, we could have, we should have. Problem is you didn't. And the pain of regret lasts forever because you're constantly playing catch up to embrace any changes that are going on. So it's really inspiration or desperation. It's either pain or vision. And if you know something's going to happen, what Wayne Gretzky say? Good players skate to where the puck is. Great players skate to where the puck's going to be. Where's that puck going to be, and are you going to be waiting for it when it gets there, or are you just going to keep following and having the same view that everybody else does? And that's really, I think, how we have all yeah. have to look at change in today's world. I love it. I, I love it. Forward, so, Tim, this has been amazing. We could we could talk for we could talk for hours. I think I really this is an awesome conversation, and I, I love bringing people in from other industries to get different perspectives. For the listeners out there, if they want to buy the book or they want to follow you, learn more about you. How can they find you and reach out to you? Amazon. You can get Fearless or Frictionless. It's on Amazon. Or you can go to kinsgroup.com. We have a shop on there. You can get that and other products. I'm all over social media. The Tim Kent's on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere, YouTube. Love to have communication, talk with people, especially as branching out in other industries and realizing, man, we all got the same challenges. So communicate with me, let me know, send me invites, instant message me, and let's have some fun growing. Let's grow together. Tim Kentz, I love it, man. This was inspirational, motivational, and just straight awesome. So I really appreciate you joining me and everybody on Bridging the Gap this week. Thanks so much and uh, look forward to continuing to grow together in the future. Love it. Thank you for having me. It's my honor. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. The Central